we've got to do is we literally have to keep the main thing the main thing but we also got to see the components of what a relationship we got to see those things come together in Philippians chapter 2 
I want to read the verses we're going to be dealing with this morning. I want to read them in their entirety from, what I, from a, a, something called the message. Many of you know the message. It's literally, it's like a paraphrase of God's word. But it's put beautifully here. So in verse 1, here's what the, he's saying. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to help others. Isn't that beautifully written? And when you begin to see that, and you begin to see that, you see that Paul is basically outlining four distinct things that we find at the beginning of this text. And the first thing that we see, he's given us four attitudes to have unity. The first one is an attitude of encouragement, of encouragement. In, in the very first verse, Paul says, therefore, in light of Literally, chapter 1, therefore, he's, he's talking about who Christ is. He's talking about his, uh, talking about the unity they have. He's basically saying, therefore, let's keep it together. Here's how you keep it together. He says, therefore, if there's any consolation, that word means encouragement in Christ. If there's any consolation, if there's any encouragement. Now, let's, let's dissect that word encouragement. Encouragement, when you really think about it, is a big building block to unity. It's huge. It's necessary. The word itself literally means to come alongside to build up. That's literally what the word means. And so when you say, okay, what does it look like practically? What does it look like in our lives? It's literally us agreeing to come alongside of one another and build up that person. Build them up. So many times we live in a culture, and we have, there's a culture in which we live in right now in which there's a lot of tearing down. How many of you agree with that? I mean, there really is. I mean, everywhere you look, news outlets, everything. It, no, no one seems to be getting on the bandwagon of, of encouragement and building up. It's all tearing down. And if we're not careful, we'll fall into that same negative, critical aspect of living. But we are called to set apart from the culture. And be, to be set apart from the culture and come here as the body of Christ to encourage one another, to come alongside of. So therefore, encouragement can mean to literally live out faith together, which means encouragement, encouragement to grow in God's truth together, encouragement to do life together, encouragement to serve together. We're called to literally do that. We find it all through Scripture. Now, there is something that our pastors are looking at. Occasionally, we'll read a book uh, together, and we discuss as we go. And it's really a, a great challenge for us to expand our leadership skills, understand one another. Uh, there's just great talking points in some of the books. But there's one book that we're going through right now called Leadership, and it's by John Maxwell. And he gives an outline of what it means to create a growth environment, a growth environment. You could say a growth culture. And really, when we saw this, especially when I was reading this, I was sitting there and I was sitting there thinking, this is the culture our, our pastors need. We need this for one another. And here's what he, he, he outlines. I think they're going to be here on the screen. Where we have others who are ahead of us or ahead of me. There are those who are a little further down the road. 
Sometimes it's an age. You're in a different season of life, and, and people can look down that road, and you can teach them. But you need those people, and, and you need those people. And on staff, Gary's much further down the road than any of us. And so we glean from his wisdom, his discernment, his ability to see things so clearly. Now, but, but he, he does have all those things. But anyway, but it's one of those things where we're looking to one another to help each other come alongside. Not only that, I'm continually challenged. I think a good staff, a good core leadership, whether you're talking about pastors or, or deacons or whomever it may be, we need to challenge each other when it comes to growing in Christ and growing alongside of one another. Not only that, number three, my focus is outward and forward. Uh, what's the opposite of that? Looking inward and backwards. We've got to continue to look outside of ourselves. And guess what? Philippians chapter 2, that's really all that's about. If you say, what's the theme of the first part of Philippians 2? All the way down to where Christ has entered into the illustration of it all. What you're finding is the focus has moved outward and forward. Number four, I'm often, I am often outside of my comfort zone. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you like to be stretched? Anybody like to be stretched? How many of you COVID stretched you? We talked about this. I, I, I confess how God stretched me through COVID. But there's those things in our lives, we talked about this not long ago, a crisis of belief that comes into our lives that forces us to make adjustments. Many times those adjustments, guess what they are? It's they're stretching you, taking you outside your comfort zone. They are all necessary means to grow, to grow. And that's what we got to focus on. So the encouragement literally means we're coming alongside of one another to grow in Christ, to grow, to come alongside of each other. Next, others around me are growing. I look around me, and I see that they're growing, and it motivates me to grow. Maybe they'll come alongside of me to help me grow. That's what the body's all about. So then, number six, growth is modeled, but it's not just modeled. It's expected. It's expected. We expect our leaders here at this church, starting with our pastors, to, to grow, to grow, to allow God to grow us into the leaders and the pastors that he desires us to be. And that should be something that the whole body catches on to. A second attitude that leads to unity is not just encouragement, come alongside of one another, but love. Love. There's a love. He, he, look at what he says, the second part of Verse 1, if any comfort of love, the word here is agape love. It means a selfless and sacrificial love. It's an unconditional love, a love that sees past our weaknesses and our differences to a point in which we see the potential in someone and we help them grow from that point on. It's also the idea of, of loving them uh, from the hurt to where there's healing brought into their life. There's one thing that I've noticed working with people for many years now, and we've talked about this, and I've heard other of you mention this, hurting people hurt people. How many of you ever heard of that? And you know what we tend to do when people hurt us? We put our hand up. We, we, we get as far away from them as we possibly can. And yet there's times we need to do that because it, it can be a dangerous place. But most of the hurt that we're dealing with still can give us an avenue to come alongside that person and help them heal. To come alongside them, to love them enough to see past their hurt, and that's where they are, to help bring about healing in their life. 
I can't tell you how many people have come to me and, and literally, and, and what's interesting about this, there's been people who come to our church and, and then they leave and they go back out and, and, and now run into the, in the community or something. And here's what they'll say. God had me at your church for a season for me to heal. I needed to come there and I'm convinced he sent me there to heal. And then God gave me a platform of ministry elsewhere. Man, isn't that cool that God would trust us as a church with that? And then some of you, you not only came to a place of healing, you stayed around, and you're helping people heal through the pain that you've had before. There's several ministries in our church that are set up just at that. And it's so vital that we understand that we need to love people enough to reach beyond their, the differences, the weaknesses, and the hurts to help them to bring healing and for them to rise to the potential that God has for them. Imagine the spirit of unity that would exist within the church. Listen, if every member would let the love of Jesus work and care through them, what a powerful ministry that would be. Jesus said in John chapter 15, he said, this is my commandment. Now, this is not a suggestion. What is it? It's a commandment that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. We are to love one another as Christ loved us. As Christ loved the church. A third attitude that brings unity to the church family is, is its fellowship itself. Fellowship. Now, here in the good old Baptist church, what's fellowship? Getting together, eating something, right? That, that, that's, our, that's our fellowship. We're going to get together, we're going to eat something. What did y'all have? We had a fellowship last night. Right? It's deeper than that. Is far more reaching than that. Look at verse 1 again. If any fellowship of the Spirit. You see, once a person has trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit does two significant things in them. First of all, he enters the believer, and the Bible gives us this. Jesus said this about him. He said, I'm going to leave so that another may come. And his word literally means one who's called to come alongside. The comforter. It's the Holy Spirit. And what he's intended to do is to comfort you, to guide you, to, to teach you, and to convict you, to keep you on the right path. But not only is the Holy Spirit there to do that for the believer, but secondly, he creates a spiritual union between you and other believers. He expects you to be a part of the local church. And literally what we understand from Scripture is he places you in that local church. He gives you gifts that when we come together, we bond in such a way that we fulfill the mandate that God has placed on us as a church family. That's what it's all about. That's what the unity is. So if we will focus on those things, we will always have unity. We will always. It doesn't mean we agree on everything, but we will always be moving in the right direction. So, how to have a unifying spirit. Look here on the screen. This is not on your outline, but it's free, and you can write it down if you like. But anyway, but how do you do that? Number one, allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. How many of you have ever um, had an attitude about something, and you defended that attitude, only to get into your quiet time to realize you are totally off? Anybody been there? If you're married, this has happened to you many times, Okay. <laughs> But, but it's so true. It's one of those things where we, we, we see, and then all of a sudden we get alone, and we're like, man, that really stunk. I really stunk that up. That, that shouldn't have been that way. 
And, and, and so we, we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to, to, to detect the right attitudes that need to be in place. Number two, take action to change your attitude. Moving from me-centered to God-centered and other-centered. So we've got to somehow get past ourselves. Two-year-olds, don't you love them? They're, they're so much fun. But man, can they not be selfish? Matter of fact, I want to give you a homework assignment. I want you to look up a two-year-old. I want you to find a two-year-old. If there's one in your neighborhood, say, call the people down the street. Say, hey, I understand you got a two-year-old. I want to come hang out with your two-year-old. Now, first of all, that would be very creepy. <laughs> but if you want to observe what me-centered looks like, hang out with a two-year-old. And, and if, if, if you see those things showing up in your own life as an adult, you got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. We should grow past all that. It's something we should grow past. And so it's one of those things where we take the attention off ourselves. Number three, allow the Holy Spirit to not only, uh, whoops, I got this in here twice. Isn't that beautiful? Maybe it's supposed to be in here twice. But anyway, to search your heart. Number four, follow Christ's example. Strive for unity, even if it means you have to sacrifice. Guess where Philippians chapter 2 is taking us? It's pointing out all these attitudes that need to be in us for unity. And guess where it's taking us? All the way to the attitude Jesus had about dying on our behalf. That's where it takes us. Tremendous sacrifice. Number five, find ways to serve others. Find ways to serve others. you got to get your eyes off yourself. Number six, claim responsibilities, not rights. That's so important. Listen, rights can get you in a lot of trouble. And we as good old Americans and, and the Western culture, what do we claim most of the time? We have a right, don't we? Isn't that the culture we kind of have? And, and it's great to have rights. It's great to have freedoms, right? But we've got to put that in the proper context when it comes to God's desires. Number seven, don't take yourself so seriously. Some of y'all, it's like everything is so serious. Some of you looking at me right now, it's like, I can see you. I, I can. Some of you are going. <laughs> don't, don't be so serious about everything. You say, well, how would I know so well about that? My wife reminds me of this all the time. Okay, all right. <laughs> Four attitudes that are needed to bring to unity to a church family. Encouragement, love, fellowship. And this may be one of the most important, compassion. We got to learn how to have compassion for one another. What does it look like in verse 1? He says, if any affection and mercy. The two words together there in verse 1, affection and mercy, seem to make up the attitude of compassion. If we allow compassion to flow through us, listen, we can go after those who have been hurt. We can go after those who are indifferent. We can go after those who are critical. Compassion brings those out of disunity into unity. If we'll reach beyond that. And guess what? Sometimes you have to reach beyond their ugliness. How many of you know what I'm talking about? To bring that unity. Because we have a compassion for one another. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, it says this, be of one mind, and here it is, having compassion for one another. Now, why do we need to have compassion for one another? Here it is. None of us are perfect. You're not perfect. If you think you are, 
man, you really aren't perfect. Because, listen, we all got to give each other a little rope. <laughs> we all got to give each other a little bit of, of, of latitude. Because, listen, we're dysfunctional people, to be honest with you. We are. We, we, we were born in dysfunction. We live in dysfunction. And, and if, we're not, if, we're, if we don't sacrifice the flesh, we continue to live in that dysfunction. And the point is, we're never going to be perfect all the time. There's some people in this church that I've had a relationship for 30, 40 years. And, and there's been times where I thought, you're just out of line. And, and there's times I've let the Holy Spirit deal with them, set them straight. And there's times, guess what? They'll tell me I'm out of line. I'm like, no, I'm not. Thank, praise God. No, I'm not. No, and I have to evaluate myself. I have to look at that. If I, if I want to live in unity, i got to consider what's being brought to the table. And guess what? Most of the time... I find that I am in wrong at times. And then there's times I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, but sometimes we're right, okay? Now, encouragement, love, fellowship, and compassion are all necessary to bring about unity in the church family. So, what is the goal of unity? A better way of maybe looking at it, because I needed the alliteration, is what is the essence of unity, okay? So, look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. Paul says, fulfill my joy. He said, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love. If you want to make me happy, if you want me to quit being burdened about certain aspects of the ministry over here or whatever, if you want to continue that path and it's great, guess what? That is such a blessing to me, a blessing. We were sitting here the other night with a Q&A right here in this room. And we had about 30-some people here, and a lot of the people that showed up were new people. And, and they were talking. It's so funny. We were at a Q&A talking about the budget and the hard numbers on the budget, talking about a major change we're making with some of our staff. And it turned out to be an encouragement session for us. And the pastors that were in here, we were pretty blessed by it. And, and basically, the body was blessed by it. And they said, you know something? We came to this place several years ago or last year. And it's been very refreshing to be a part of this church. Now, listen, let me just say this. I'm, I'm not saying we need to go around bragging about our church and all that. Because, listen, we can set ourselves up for pride if we're not careful. And we got we to gotta guard against that, okay? God's doing some amazing things. But here's what you got to keep in mind. He's doing amazing things in spite of who we are. We got to keep that in focus. And the thing is, those testimonies were, man, this is, we've never seen anything like this. And you know what they're looking at? You know what they're observing? They're observing unity. Because many of them have been hurt from places where there wasn't. And they come here and they see the unity. And y'all, that's what it's all about. That's what it's got to be all about. So what's the essence? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to show you what Paul kind of alludes to here when it comes to unity. He says, now I plead with you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing. Now, the Corinthian church, how many of you have studied the Corinthian church? That was a messed up church. Matter of fact, and I mean no disrespect, but sometimes I'll go by a church named Corinth Baptist Church, and I'm sitting there like, really? You want to be in that church? <laughs> I'm just saying, okay? Anyway, but, but I probably shouldn't have said that. But anyway, but, but he says that you speak the same thing and that you have no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. How? In the same mind. You know what it literally means? With the same understanding. To, to be more specific, with the same understanding of the word. And then he says, and in the same judgment. 
the same discernment of conduct. So he's basically saying, I want, you to be with, uh, I want you to be one in your understanding of the word, understanding of God's truth. But I want, you to be also, I want you to also be unified in your conduct with one another, the expectation of conduct. It's very interesting. And so that's the essence of unity. Now, what is the expression of unity? Well, if you were to look in experiencing God, your, your workbook, here, here's one pers- uh, quote that I thought was interesting. A kingdom perspective moves our eyes off of ourselves to the greater work around God, uh, work around God is doing. So basically, it's us taking our eyes off ourselves, seeing the bigger picture, and moving towards that bigger picture to accomplish all God desires us to do. Now, what does that look like? Where does it come about? Well, the, the expression of unity, look on your outline. First of all, there's a corresponding outlook. A corresponding outlook. Now, what does corresponding mean? It means identical in all essentials. Notice what I said. Identical in all essentials. Okay? Similar in position and purpose. Associated in a working relationship. Now, what does that sound like? What does Paul saying here? Verse 2, the second part. He says this. Being of one accord of one mind. Some of your translations say like-minded. Like-minded. Now, how do you become like-minded? Well, you got to rally around something. You all got to get on board with something. And, and you know where we have to start? The Word of God. The Word of God. Now, this is it. This is what we're rallying around. We're not, listen, we're not rallying around the culture's interpretation of this. We're rallying around this. You, you see what I'm saying? This does not change. The culture changes. Now, we may adapt as a church to reach the culture, but we're not going to conform to the culture. We conform ourselves and transform ourselves through this. This is everything. So what does that look like for our church? First of all, we are going to come together. We're going to be like-minded around the unity of doctrine. I hope if you join this church or if you're planning on joining this church that you look at our doctrine. That's what we believe about certain things. And you go down through there, it says what we believe about God, what we believe about uh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, salvation, marriage. All those things are right there. You need, to, you need to look at that. You need to weigh. Is this somewhere where I can be like-minded around the doctrine that this church holds to be true? Which comes, we believe, comes straight out of the Word of God because there's Scripture all over. Secondly, so it's in what we believe about God's Word. Then there's unity in our core values. How we exist. Years ago, several years ago, I preached on our, our cultural values. You can find them on our website. But here's just some of them. We believe that Jesus is our lead story. Don't y'all just love that? We, if he's not, we should just shut the doors. If he's not, we're never going to have unity. He's got to be the lead story. Secondly, scripture and prayer are prime. It means that of the utmost. We have a high regard for scripture and prayer. And, and that's it. I mean, it all comes together. Listen, we are, worship is a lifestyle. Don't, don't, don't we love to come and worship around what the worship team's leading us and all that? But it doesn't end here. We carry it out with us. We carry it out with us. We are a family. We need to keep that in mind. There's times we have to look at ourselves organizationally to make sure we're where we need to be structurally. But the bottom line is we're a family. We're a family. 
and we're abiding. And then we are kingdom focused. If anybody wants to criticize our church, they can't criticize the fact we're not kingdom focused. We are. We are very kingdom focused. We believe in missions. We believe in doing everything we can to reach people. So we see that. So these are the things. This, we got to have the corresponding outlook. So buying, basically it means buying into the same vision, keeping the main thing the main thing as it relates to Christ and his purpose for the church. So what does that look like? Look on your outline. Being one in spirit. We have a kindred spirit. We come alongside one another. Number two, being one in purpose. Life, our lives center around the wishes of God. That's our purpose. And that's what we seek to hold up truth. So we are to, co- listen, we are to operate or cooperate as, as even though, uh, as one, even though we come from different backgrounds, different experiences, different personalities, and different giftings, God still places us all together to fulfill his mandate. To reach the world and make disciples. That's it. That's what it's all about. And that's what we exist. So the expression of unity. Secondly is humility. Humility. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself or herself. we got to put y'all ladies in there too, right? We know that men can be naturally... Self-centered, but you ladies can pull it off too very well, okay? Because I'm married to one of y'all. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Anyway, I'll. But we, we do. I mean, think about this. Paul was saying, don't let pride enter the attitude of the body. There's two ways pride hurts the body. Number Verse 3 tells us both. Selfish ambition. When a person puts their own agenda ahead of what's best for the church. The second word he uses is conceit. When a person seeks glory for themselves, when they desire recognition and attention, when they make it about themselves instead of about God's wishes for the body. So humility, look on your outline, requires an honest evaluation. Listen, we've got to depend on the Holy Spirit keeping us in check. That's literally what this means. Because we're all capable of the wheels falling off and, 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 and going in the wrong direction. We're all capable of that. But the Holy Spirit keeps us in check. And we got to depend on him to do that. And we, and we need to see that. So when he says lowliness of mind, he, that's literally the act of humility. It's the act of humility. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have been around people who are know-it-alls? Can't tell them anything. They already know it. Bless their hearts. It, all, it also carries a way, a, a, a form of you're teachable. You know you can learn something. You know that you're not God's gift to the body to tell them everything they need to do. But you come alongside and we hear one another out. We seek understanding we make decisions based on the discernment around God's word, and we continue to move forward. And we're all teachable. We're all still learning about it. That's what the key is. But secondly, humility requires courage. Now, why would humility require courage? Because sometimes, listen, sometimes when we act in humility, we can, we're literally giving someone else the controls. You know what I'm talking about? 
Sometimes when you seek to put the other one first, sometimes you're giving them the controls. Now let me say this. If you're a control freak, (laughs) that can be a problem if you don't put it in check. You need to keep it in check. You need to realize if God's calling you towards something, I guarantee you it's going to require all of us to walk in humility. Walk in humility. I'll I'll give you an example uh, uh, the way it relates on staff. About 12 years ago, I went to a couple of deacons and I said, I think it's time (laughs) that we change, we at least look at changing the name of the church. That was about 12 years ago. And um, I felt very strongly that that was something that we needed to do to break down some needless barriers. I'm just going to tell you, I I felt like it was needless barriers. And it wasn't a popular decision. Y'all know that. It was a very difficult decision to do that. But I really felt like that's where we were going. And basically, those those two that I trusted with the information to kind of help me, really, I wanted to go, and, and I wanted them to say, I agree, let's do this, let's move forward with this. And both of them said, I don't think this is the time to do that. Now, I left them, and I pouted. I I went there. I pouted. I I mean, it was one of them things where, come on, man, we got to keep this thing moving, you know, that kind of thing. And it wasn't two days later the Holy Spirit just got in there. And basically, you know what the Holy Spirit revealed to me? God has placed people around you to help you understand you don't have all the answers. And it's not going to go to one person. One person may receive it, but there will be affirmation that comes with that decision. Now, here's what they were saying. They weren't saying it will never be done. They were saying it wasn't time. It wasn't time. And I backed off. I swallowed my pride. And I said, okay, I've got to trust these people. I, at first, and the, the two men that are probably sitting in the room right now, I just want you to know, I had a hard time with you for about 48 hours. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit of God put me in check. And, and you know what? It's one of the wisest things we did. One of the wisest things we did was something we didn't do that I felt like we needed to do. It, it, and it happened in its own time. It happened when it needed to happen. And so when you begin to look at that, it requires courage because you're literally sometimes turning over controls to someone else. And for those of us who are insecure because we we feel like as long as we can control things and something bad won't happen to us, we won't fear, we won't worry if we can control it, right? But does that ever work? No, it never works. And so sometimes it means that. So what should our attitude be concerning others? We are to have the mind of Christ, which is one of humility. Look below at verse 8. It says, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus what? Humbled himself. How does deity humble himself? (laughs) And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He yielded himself to it. He, He literally was basically given God the controls. How do we know that? Because of the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, is there any other way? What was the final conclusion? Lord, as you will it, as you will it, it will be done. It will be done. 
Next expression of unity, there's consideration. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. This verse is actually the expression of humility. Lowering yourself, your desires, your preferences, not, not, your, not the principles, not convictions, but your preferences and your needs. Raising up others' desires, others' preferences at times, and others' needs all come from consideration, paying close attention to the lives of those around us. So, this is a change of attitude. It's a change of mindset. How did Christ, how did Jesus put the interests of others ahead of his own? Look at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. I mean, he was on the same plane. He was deity, but made himself of no reputation. That word literally means he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, not deity, a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. Why did he do that? Why did he humble himself in the way that he did to meet our greatest need? To meet our greatest need. And you know what we need to be doing? We need to be attempting to meet each other's needs. We need, and at times it means we're sacrifice. So there's two things that can destroy unity. Here they are. This is now on your outline. A person under the influence of the enemy. A person who thinks their preferences are principles. That can destroy unity. So how do we as individuals keep this from happening? I gave you a homework assignment next week. Here's your, here's your new one. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, tells us how we should act towards one another. Let me pull out three verses from that. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Verse 16 of Romans 12, be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, the least of these. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Verse 18, if at all possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, with all people. As much as depends on you. Sometimes there might not ever be peace. It takes two to bring it about when it's two people. But you do everything in your power to make sure you leave it where that possibility is there. So here's the application. The application is literally a prayer. God give us a love for one another that supersedes anything that keeps us from accomplishing what you ask us to do for the kingdom or for your kingdom. Help us to remain unified in your truth and in your vision by our church family. And then here's the verse. This is your memory verse for this week, okay? If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, Jesus is never in the dark. He sees all. He knows all. He knows how it's all going to play out. And if we walk with him as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what that literally means? It, it means we can have unity without all our dysfunctions. It means we can come together, and in spite of our insecurities, we can rise above those things to come together, even though we might not agree on everything, but we can still be agreeable to bring the unity that is so necessary to fulfill the mandate God's place on our church. And we all have a part in that. Would you pray with me this morning?
Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for who you are. But Lord, we also thank you for the fact that you've put so much trust in us at times. And Father, it blows my mind how you can use a local church family to, to do great things. Because we are, we're broken people living in a world of desperation. Yet, we can still bring light and hope. And you give us that ability. And it all is rooted in your word. It's all rooted in unity. It's all rooted in love and compassion that we have for one another. But it's also in terms of fellowship and partnership. To recognize what is most important. Not our petty differences. Not this or that, but Father, that we follow your wishes. We follow your desires. Help us to be the church you've called us to be. Father, we need you. Your word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that you're the head of the body. And we're just pieces of the body looking to the head to make it happen. Help us to continue to walk in unity. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I tell you, how many of you have been able to keep up with most of the study and it's blessing your heart? Would you raise your hand? Some, there's many of you. I'm so glad because, listen, I want, to, I want to end with this. I've got people, i got individuals, i got couples that are coming to me and they're saying, God could not have timed this any better for me. You know, God is sovereign. He controls our lives. He controls. He puts it all together. And the way we see him moving sometimes is just through a little simple study that centers around God's word. And he can do some amazing things. So I hope if, if that hadn't been the priority for you, you'll get back to that priority. We only have two more weeks. This week, and then I'll preach another sermon to introduce the next week. There's just two weeks left. But I want to encourage you to get in there. It will be, I promise you, a spiritual mark on your life. Thank you for being here this morning. You're dismissed.